Now may the uh, reading of the word of the Lord be a window of grace through which we come to see Jesus uh, in sharper focus and, uh, and more clearly. Reading from the Gospel of John, it's printed there in your liturgy. Those who eat my flesh and drink my blood abide in me, and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever eats me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like that which your ancestors ate and they died. The one who eats this bread will live forever. He said these things while he was teaching in the synagogue at Capernaum. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, This teaching is difficult. Who can accept it? But Jesus, being aware that his disciples were complaining about it, said to them, Does this offend you? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit that gives life. The flesh, it's useless. The words that I've spoken to you are spirit and life. But among you there are some who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the first who were the ones that did not believe and who was the one that would betray him. And he said, for this reason I've told you no one can come to me unless it's granted by the Father. Because of this, many of his disciples turned back, no longer went about with him. So Jesus asked the twelve, do you also wish to go away? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom can we go? You have the words of eternal life. We've come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Open our ears, O Lord, that we would hear the gospel, and our eyes that we would see Jesus, and your Holy Spirit be the one who teaches us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Hunger and thirst are words that are often employed in Scripture when God wants us to think about the affections of our heart. When God wants us to think about what our hearts are inclined toward, often the words hunger and thirst come up. Now, now using those words in those ways, it's not unfamiliar to us even today, is it? Uh, Or in language in general, we say of athletes, they're hungry for a thirst. They're hungry and they're thirsty for a win. And sometimes we say things like, my goodness, I'm starving for the approval of my parents, my boss, or whatever. Sometimes in the wrong way, of course. More of that later. And the same family of words, we often talk about having a huge appetite for success, etc. We talk about having a taste of victory after Cubs win. They have a taste of victory now. Scripture says, taste and see that the Lord is good. So when Jesus talks about eating his flesh and drinking his blood, as shocking as the cannibalistic imagery is, in a way, what he's doing is simply amplifying, amplifying and reframing what the scriptures are always calling God's people to do. 
to turn away from things that do not satisfy and to be hungry for God's provision of grace and mercy. I say simply amplifying and simply reframing. Well, (laughs) I mean, it's a really big deal, okay? I mean, simply amplifying, simply reframing, sure, but it was too much, just too much for his audience. Too much for us sometimes, too. I mean, to be those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, that's something that they could hear, reminiscent of Old Testament imagery and metaphors and whatnot. But for Jesus to say that hungering and thirsting after righteousness, that hungering and thirsting after God, for him to say that those words find fulfillment in eating and drinking a human being, his flesh, his blood, that was new information And it troubled people deeply to hear it. What could it possibly mean? This is a difficult teaching. Who can hear it, the disciples say. And Jesus tells us that they were complaining and they found it offensive. You can feel the tension in the air. If you slow down, and read that passage, just kind of slowly move through it, sort of think about the words that are confrontational words and whatnot. There's a lot of tension. It's like the kind of tension you can cut with a knife. And, you know, there's so much tension, in fact, that, you know, we're told many quit following Jesus. And he looks around And he asked the disciples, and I don't think it's an entirely rhetorical question. He asked the disciples, are you leaving too? I think it's clear in the way that John relates this story to us that he wants us to feel this tension and to not skip over it. Because I don't think that tension is altogether a bad thing. We'll find out in the preaching of the early church when we get to readings from in the liturgical calendar that are associated with the epistles, we'll be reminded that the preaching of the early church, the preaching of the cross, Christ crucified, as Caleb was talking about during his communion meditation, that created tension because it was an offense to the human way of thinking. That God would take on human flesh, that's an offense. That we must be crucified to our own flesh in order to follow Jesus, that's an offense. Everything about Jesus' life, death, and resurrection is offensive to human ways of thinking in one way or another. But it's in the tension that we come to recognize when we have ears to hear and eyes to see It's in the tension when we come to recognize by the Spirit just how starkly different human ideas of God are when contrasted with God's self-revelation in Christ's life, death, resurrection, and ascension. 
The tension between Jesus and his listeners is the same tension we often feel when in a moment of honest reflection we realize that we would rather God not embarrass us in front of our friends. Thank you very much. Don't talk about all this needing to take up our crosses and die to ourselves and confess our sins and, you know, don't talk about the God who created the universe only being accessible through God's self-revelation in Jesus Christ. In moments of honesty, we think, that makes us feel tense. You know, the tension in this passage from John 6, I'm not sure if it's deliberate. I think some scholars think it is, but it's, it's reminiscent a moment earlier in the Gospel of John when Jesus interacts with Nicodemus and tells him he must be born from above. Born again, sometimes it's translated. Born a second time. And Nicodemus says in third chapter of John, basically says this, I have no idea what you mean about being born a second time. And he basically says to Jesus, this is a difficult thing that you're saying. Who can accept it? I don't know what to do with it. And Jesus, rather than trying to explain himself more fully, leaves him with the thought that the Spirit does that which no human being can understand and predict. That's another good thing about these sorts of tense interactions because they reveal that what Jesus expects and wants from people in these interactions around ultimate reality is for people to accept that God must do something for them that they cannot do for themselves. I mean, that's the first sort of move, right? God... I'm trying to quench my thirst and I'm trying to sate my hunger. It's not working out so well. Things I'm trying to sate my hunger with and quench my thirst with, I just leave the table and I'm thirstier and hungrier than ever before. Oh God, if there's going to be anything good that happens here, it's going to be because of you. Not me. Spirit gives life. Flesh does not. I mean, that's... Talk a lot about what Jesus means by when he says, no one comes to me except the Father grant it. But really, the bottom line to that is our saying, Spirit, we need life. We can't do these things for ourselves. Or on our own. Thinking on the passage in front of us this week and, and how it echoes what's going on in the interaction with Nicodemus got me to thinking about how we respond to people when we don't understand them. You ever, you ever thought about that in relationship to this passage? Um, when we're with someone who is maybe not our favorite person and they say something that confuses us 
our response is often immediate frustration, right? Often to the point of being really annoyed and sometimes really looking for the door, right? If you're going to talk like this, I don't, I don't think I want to understand what you're saying. I'm annoyed. I'm out of here. But if you like the person, or perhaps if you like them a whole bunch, or maybe you're in love with the person, and they say something that confuses you, your immediate response is, I don't understand. I don't care if I understand. (laughs) I just want to be around this person. And then you keep listening. Like when I met my wife, I think I was probably asked at some point if I liked the publication Art Forum. And I probably said something like this. Well, I'm sure I will. (laughs) Confused by Art Forum? Yes. I like it? I don't know. But I think I'll learn to like it. That's where Peter ends up. When Jesus says, do you want to go away too? He doesn't say no. (laughs) He's probably thinking, yeah, going away is tempting. And what he says is, where else would I go? Where else would I go? We've come to believe that even though we don't understand them, you have the words of eternal life. In other words, Peter's saying, I don't understand everything, but I know that you're the one I want to be with. I don't understand everything, but I know that you're the one that I want to be with. Um, Thinking of Nicodemus, who, by the way, shows up after the crucifixion. Um, Thinking of Peter. You know, there's something going on there that I think in our own spiritual journeys it's important to pay attention to. Because what they're saying is, I don't have all this figured out. And sometimes I want to hit the door like along with everybody else. But they're naming something that's holy and it's sacred. And it doesn't look pretty and it's, uh, you know, it's, it, it's not sort of like sexy confidence, not quite the opposite. But it's just sort of this confession that when I'm around Jesus and how he talks about being human, I feel a little bit more alive. I feel a little bit more hopeful. I feel a little bit more like my hunger and my thirst are going to be trained towards food and drink that could actually satisfy me. Now, there's a lot more to this passage. I mean, I've got pages, okay? But last night I decided that the only way to do this was in two parts. So uh, it's hot and I'm stopping now. But I'm stopping with the idea that I'm going to talk to Caleb about 
I want to pick up just the tail end of this on the way to the communion table next week, which is kind of where it belongs anyway. But I just want to leave you with that thought. You know, sometimes uh, the most sacred thing that we can say out loud to ourselves, or not out loud necessarily, but say to ourselves on any given day is, it's messy, I don't have it sorted out, but along with Peter and Nicodemus, you know, I'm going to name that when I'm listening to Jesus and when I'm with Jesus, I feel hopeful, I feel more alive, and I'm going to listen some more. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.